it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, yes, it is here on this Wednesday, July 5th, 2023, the day after our great nation celebrated its 247th birthday. How were the dogs? How was the barbecue? How was the beer? I hope you had a great Independence Day holiday. I hope you took a minute to reflect on the fact that we do live in the greatest country in the world. Hello, it's Paul Gleiser, and I'm sitting in for Jimmy here on Fox Across America here again today. I'll be here the rest of the week, and is as is always the case... When it's my honor to be sitting in this chair, I want to make you a part of the program. So put this number in your phone right now, 888-788-9910, 888-788-9910. Big show coming up later this hour. Daniel Turner with Power of the Future will join us. And then in hour three, Ben Klein, congressman from the Republic, for the Republican congressman from the 6th District of Virginia. But right now, it's you and me, and guess what? It is this time of year, July the 4th. It falls in that week that marks the, uh, besides the the independence celebration from from Great, celebrating our independence from Great Britain, besides marking that, it marks the end of the first half of the year. The July 4th holiday week is effectively America's halftime. So let's do the halftime report. Where do we stand here at halftime in America? How do you see the year ending up? There's a lot to consider. Let's start first with son Hunter Biden, first son. Boy, don't you just know, don't you just know that he wishes he had picked up that laptop he dropped off at the Delaware Computer Repair Shop. Abandoning that laptop has caused no end of heartache and trouble for people with the last name of Biden's. It is a massive can of worms. We really, all of us out here, ought to thank Hunter for dropping that, for for failing to pick that uh, laptop up, because we now know things that otherwise we would have had to only suspect, only via the cooperation of a totally compliant um, and complicit uh, national media, is the Hunter Biden laptop story and all that has been revealed in it, not a news story that completely blows Watergate away. So what is it that we, who we are enterprising enough to get our news from places other than the corporate media, what is it that we know as a result of the material that came to light from Hunter's abandoned MacBook? Well, we know that Hunter got paid a lot of money, a lot of money, millions of dollars to do exactly no discernible work. And we know that those who were paying him are from strategic adversaries to the United States, of course, the most notable of which is China. The existence of Hunter's laptop led directly to the subsequent discovery that Joe Biden was lying through his teeth back in August and September of 2019 when he said this. Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. Yeah, where's the buzzer when you need it? We know that was a lie. We know, we know he knows. 
We also know from a 2017 WhatsApp message that Hunter sent to a man named Gong Wen Dong, a Chinese national linked to CEFC, that's the Chinese Communist Party-linked energy firm, that Hunter demanded $10 million in payment because, and this is a quote from the, from the WhatsApp uh, message, this is the quote, the Bidens are the best I know at doing exactly what the chairman wants, the chairman in this case being the chairman of CEFC. In other words, pay us the money, you'll get what you want. The message went on to say that Joe Biden was there in the room as that message was being sent. Are you kidding me? And a few days after that message, what do you know? Bank records obtained by the House Oversight Committee, chaired by James Comer of Kentucky. What do you know? We learned that the money got deposited via wire transfer into the bank account of one of the many limited liability companies that Hunter Biden set up for no other discernible purpose than to process payments. None of these LLCs that that Hunter Biden set up do any actual work. They're not in business. It looks more and more like Hunter Biden is in the business solely of selling access to the big guy for a lot of money. This story keeps getting worse for President Biden to the point that even the corporate media can no longer simply ignore it. So here at Halftime in America, where do you see this story going by the end of the year? Does it take Joe Biden down? Does it force a resignation? Maybe a little hard to imagine, but what does it do to him? Does Kamala Harris become president? Oh, my God. What do you think? 888-788-9910. And what about his candidacy? Does this story take him out of the race? Does it does it hurt his candidacy? Does it? Do the Dems look at it and say, we got to get somebody else? Do they look at the totality of Joe and say, this isn't going to work? Are they behind the scenes right this minute looking for somebody else? Or will this whole story just blow over? What's your halftime prediction for the Hunter Biden laptop story and all that goes with it? 888-788-9910. And that does lead us to the question of the big guy himself. Scandal aside, the whole laptop thing aside, the whole influence peddling evidence that we have aside, is he up to the job? Anytime you suggest that the elevator doesn't go all the way to the top floor, and it never was a very tall building to begin with, Democrats will tell you there's no proof, no actual clinical diagnosis of anything wrong with Joe Biden. Well, what clinical evidence do you need? I have eyes and ears. I've seen the parents of close friends, and I've seen members of my own family decline into the dark abyss of dementia. That whole terrible process looked and sounded like Joe Biden looks and sounds. It sounded like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go, you know the you know the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know the thing. We said it all yesterday. We all of us know the thing, except Joe couldn't bring it to mind. And that was from a while back. And Biden supporters dismissed it as a one off. But it's getting worse. A couple of weeks ago, Biden was wrapping up a speech at a gun safety summit in Connecticut. He was nowhere near England and he wasn't talking about the monarchy and the queen is no longer alive. And yet he said this at the end of the speech. God save the queen, man. Huh? Where'd that come from? The White House was asked by reporters to explain that, and, of course, they didn't have an explanation. 
These aren't, you know, these aren't one-offs. These are, if they were one, listen, we all misspeak. You're going to listen to three hours of me misspeaking. That's going to happen. We all misspeak. We all flub. That happens. But this is not, this is way more than that. He flubs a lot. As a matter of fact, he can't ad lib. He can't go off prompter. He can't even read the prompter. It's happening more and more. Here is uh, just a montage, a one-minute montage of recent Joe Biden. Bridge over the, uh, over the over the Holly River. Look, and, and Warsaw, or excuse me, Washoe County in Nevada. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was in the foot, uh, foot, foot, me, the foothills of the Himalayas with Xi Jinping, traveling with him. And that's we traveled 17,000 miles when I was vice president. I don't know that for a fact. A solid meeting with um, with uh, the uh, here's what drives the driver uh, in the states that are affected well, we're going to win and we're going to help we have plans to build a railroad from the pacific all the way across the indian ocean we have plans to build in in, in, in angola one of the largest solar plants in the world i can go on but i'm not i'm going off script i'm gonna get in trouble yeah, when you go off script, you start imagining that, that railroads can be built across oceans. That, that, that's Joe Biden here at halftime 2023. Where is he by the time primary season begins in earnest early next year in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina? And where will he be by Election Day 17 months from now? Joe Biden is the front runner against Robert F. Kennedy Jr., JFK's nephew, for the Dem nomination for 2024. Will that still be the case by the end of the year? Will he still be in the race? Does Joe Biden even finish his term, given what we're seeing? What's your prediction? 888-788-9910. Meanwhile, on the other side of the aisle, we have former President Donald Trump with a commanding lead for the GOP 2024 nomination. I mean commanding, like 30 to 40 points worth of commanding in some cases, way ahead of second-place Florida uh, Governor uh, Ron DeSantis. Here's Steve Cortez on, on, from DeSantis's Super PAC. Cut one. Look, right now in national yeah. polling, uh, we are way behind. I'll be the first to admit that, okay? I believe in being really blunt and really honest. It's, a, it's an uphill battle. I don't think it's an unwinnable battle sure. by any stretch, okay? But... Clearly, Donald Trump is the is the runaway front runner, uh, particularly since the indictments. That was not the case before the indictments. It is the case afterwards. So the the indictments seem to have made Donald Trump stronger. And you know, DeSantis, whom I expected would gain, start gaining some traction. I think DeSantis has a lot going for him, but he's not catching fire. And that's the case here at halftime, twenty twenty three. Will that still be the case at the end of twenty twenty three? As primary season gets underway in earnest uh, later this year to ramp up to get to get cranking, Trump is under two criminal indictments as we speak. At least one more is expected from the state of Georgia. Trump's first indictment is one brought by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg and legal scholars and experts almost to a person agree that that thing's a complete joke. But according to those same legal experts, a number of whom are known to be Trump-friendly legal experts, the 37-count federal indictment in Florida surrounding possession and mishandling of classified documents has some substance to it. 
And there are only four possible outcomes with respect to that federal indictment. The first is that for whatever reason that we can't see coming, it's just somehow gets dismissed. That seems unlikely. The second is that Trump and the U.S. attorney come to some sort of a plea deal. Knowing Donald Trump the way we do, that also seems unlikely. I just can't imagine Donald Trump agreeing to taking of to the taking of a felony conviction. The third is that the case goes to trial, maybe sometime in 2024, even as the campaign is going on and Trump gets acquitted. It will be tried in Florida, and that's more Trump-friendly territory. A jury acquittal is possible, but that is one very high-stakes game, and it will dominate the headlines during the campaign. And, of course, the fourth possibility is the case goes to trial and Trump gets convicted. That possibility is appalling to me. Because Richard Nixon, a Republican president, was taken down by Woodward and Bernstein in 1974, the media has been trying to take down Republicans ever since. Now we have the DOJ trying to take out Republican presidents. If they, if they succeed this time, they will be doing what, what they've done on Trump writ large. It'll be, show me the man, I'll show you the crime against every single Republican president candidate candidate going forward. but with, So with all that as background, Trump has a big lead at halftime. Where will he stand at the end of the year when primary season kicks off for the GOP? Like I said, the situations are different. Don't forget that Jeb Bush had an enormous lead in the polls at this point prior to the 2016 election. He wound up collecting only three delegates to the GOP convention before quietly dropping out after having raised and wasted $150 million. Hillary Clinton was similarly hugely in the lead over Barack Obama at this point in 2008. Obama wound up becoming the nominee in front of Greek columns with more than 80,000 people in the stands. At Invesco Field in Denver, I was there. So here at halftime, where do you see it? And where do you see Trump and the rest of the ever-expanding GOP field by the end of the year? It's the halftime report here in America on Fox Across America. What do you think? Want to hear from you, 888-788-9910. It's Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here on Fox Across America. We get going in earnest after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. That's my name. Don't wear it out. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. It's Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here on Fox Across America. One of the things I love about this show when Jimmy's here, one of, the, one of the things I love about Fox Across America is how upbeat it is, how bright and positive it is. We, you know, we live in the greatest country in the world. Jimmy says it all the time. We won the lotto. We try to keep, uh, we, we try to be optimistic. But here's, you, 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 that doesn't mean you can ignore the things that are troubling. As we, um, as we celebrated the 4th of July yesterday, I was reminded of the uh, March, I want to say late March, 27th poll, Wall Street Journal poll that uh, they do every year that says that only 38% of Americans view patriotism as being important, down from 70% in 1998. We have that much of a decline. Most of the population doesn't think being patriotic is important. You want to know where to lay that blame? Lay that blame in the public schools. Because... 
we, when I was a kid growing up in school, when, when people of my generation were growing up in school, part of the curriculum was an infusion of patriotism into the kids. That's not happening now, and it needs to come back. Yeah, if you want to have a functioning, proper, healthy, successful society, man, you got to love your country. And there is so much to love about this one. But I don't care where you are. you got to love your country. If being a patriot is not important, you're going to lose the very values that made the country great. And that's something we can't deal with. If you, want to get, if, you, if you really want to get the country under control, forget about Biden versus Trump, Trump versus DeSantis. Uh, forget about national elections. Get yourself back into the local schools. Look at your school board elections and get a handle on what the curriculum is. And part of the curriculum should be that we teach our kids to love their country. That doesn't mean you overlook the, the flaws and the sins and the things that are less than perfect. It doesn't mean that you gloss over them or play like it doesn't exist. I knew as a kid growing up in school that America was once a nation that, that tolerated the ownership of slaves. I was told that it was wrong. I was told that slavery was a fundamental evil. I was also taught that America eradicated slavery on its own. It did not require an invading army. We fought a bitter, terrible civil war in order to rid the country of slavery. We, we, we discussed the country's imperfections, but the emphasis was on what America gets right. And what America gets right is freedom and individual liberty and the power of the individual and the sovereignty of the individual over the state. It's not that way in a lot of the world, and it was not, not that way in most of the world. One could say all of the world in 1776 when the, when the United States declared its independence from Great Britain. We, we were taught that our freedom is, is a a fundamental good thing about the United States. And this is something that a lot of people don't know. When, on the day in July 1776, when the United States declared itself independent from Great Britain and was already at war with what was then the most powerful nation on earth, on that day, the most successful, most prosperous country in the world had a poverty rate of 80%. America is the first nation in history to make poverty the exception rather than the rule. And we ought to be teaching that in school. And if we taught that in school, if we, if we were celebrating that fact, we'd have more people than 38% saying that patriotism is important. It's Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here on Fox Across America. Daniel Turner with Power of the Future is coming up. Hope you'll stick around. More to come. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. It's Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here on Fox Across America. I'm coming to you from the great state of Texas. I own 
proud Fox Across America affiliate, KTBB, Tyler Longview, Texas. You can follow me in my weekly column, youtellmetexas.com. I say what I, what's on my mind. You reply with what's on yours. That's why we call it You Tell Me. You can be from anywhere. You don't have to be from Texas. It's it's called youtellmetexas.com. And Rob, from uh, listening on KTBB via our mobile app, texts in on the 2023 halftime prediction that I asked for in the opening block. He, It's his contention that his prediction that neither Donald Trump nor Joe Biden will be their party's respective nominee, nominees in 2023. That it'll be two entirely different people, not Donald Trump, not Joe Biden. Is that too crazy to think about? 888-788-9910. Uh, I don't think it's too crazy to think about, and I'll tell you why. First of all, with respect to Joe Biden, this is not me being political. I've, I've opposed Joe Biden from the time I've known about him. I think he, I think he has, as, as was said about him, he's been wrong on every important issue for the past 50 years. I would never vote for him. I don't like him. I don't think he's a good man. I'm going to disclaim all of that. With that said, I would still look at him if he were my guy, and I would say, that guy's having problems. I would look at him and say, he is in serious decline. The reason I would say that is because he looks exactly like my Uncle Jim looked when Uncle Jim was slipping into dementia. He's unable to finish sentences. He's unable to complete thoughts. He's unable to to start a sentence and finish it on the same topic. You just look at him. If you've got any member of your family that has ever been through the ravages of Alzheimer's or dementia, you know what I'm talking about. This is what it looks like. And so I don't see how he lasts as far as the end of his term at the rate he seems to be declining. We know we can play audio clips of him till the cows come home of him being unable to get through a sentence, to answer a question cogently, to to sound like the President of the United States. Do you think, do you imagine that America's um, adversaries are not looking at that and saying, well, this is our time to move? Can you, do you think Xi Jinping is blind to it if you and I can see it? So I'm, you know, Joe Biden making it as far as winning the nomination in the summer of next year and getting to the general election, I I can certainly see how that would not happen. And what I would say about Donald Trump with respect to his side of Rob's uh, uh, prediction that neither Trump nor Biden will be the nominees in 2024, um, let me just say this. One of the big things that gets in the way of the idea of Donald Trump being renominated. Uh, is the the fact that he's under uh, federal indictment for uh, felonies. That's never happened before. There's no way in the world you're going to make that go away. It's going to be there the whole time he's trying to run. That is a real complication. And, yes, he's leading in the polls, but we've, we've seen that the polls at this point in a presidential race in the, in the summer before election year starts, We've seen that the polls don't mean a lot. Hillary Clinton had an insurmountable lead in the summer of 2007. By the summer of 2008, Barack Obama was the nominee for the for the uh, Democratic Party. He went on to win the presidency. 
in the summer of 2015, Jeb Bush was the prohibitive favorite to be the GOP nominee. By the summer, late summer of 2016, Donald Trump was the nominee. He went on to win the presidency. So anything can happen. We'll see, but it, it's not crazy to think that by this time next year, we'll have two different people on the ticket for their respective parties, Republican and Democrat. 888-788-9910. And, on, in, and in other news, a big, big, big piece of um, news came out yesterday on what is supposed to be a slow news day. Federal judge in Louisiana, U.S. District Court Judge Terry Doty, he is a Trump appointee. He ruled Tuesday that the White House likely colluded with big tech to censor protected speech during the COVID-19 pandemic. This was um, decided in, this ruling came in Louisiana because it was filed by Jeff Landry, the attorney general for the state of Louisiana, who's now running for governor. And what he said, what what essentially the suit says is this. Under the First Amendment, the the federal government cannot, cannot come to you and say, you can't say something. They can't suppress speech. The federal government cannot restrict speech. They were doing it through the back door. The federal government was restricting speech by leaning on the social media companies to do it for them. And the judge says in in his in his 155-page order, which grants an, an injunction, says that they the, the government has to stop doing it until the the case is tried. In his order, he says to the uh, to the White House to uh, the press secretary to a list of um, let's see who's on the list: Corinne um, Jean Pierre, um, Justice Department, the FBI, Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier uh, uh, Becerra, and the Surgeon General says to them specifically: You cannot call up the social media companies and tell them to take a post down. You cannot you cannot use your office, you can't get a backdoor suppression of the First Amendment by having the social media companies do it for you. That's a big story. That's a huge thing. That, we're going to be talking about that a lot. That's a big deal. That suit was brought by, um, as I say, Jeff Landry, Attorney General of Louisiana, and by the former Missouri Attorney General, uh, uh, Eric Schmidt, who's now um, the GOP senator from Missouri. So those two guys filed suit against the federal government. We're starting to rein in what we know uh, the big tech companies did, which was censor and, and cancel anybody who dared speak up against what the, what the official line was with respect to the COVID-19 pandemic. That I'm glad this has happened, and I hope that they win at trial That so we don't have the government using Twitter and Facebook um, and um, the other sub, any of the social media companies censoring what we say and leaning on these companies to say this Democrat can say that, but this Republican can't say this. Completely, completely scary idea that that could happen in the United States. Effectively, the government using the, um, you know, the private sector to do what it can't do directly, which is to censor protect, protected speech under the First Amendment. Your thoughts on that as well, 888-788-9910. Let's go back to talking about um, the 
possibility that Donald Trump is not the nominee. What would keep him from being the nominee? Well, certainly, um, if voters change their minds, that would keep him from being the nominee. Uh, Or his legal troubles could, could keep him from being the nominee. I'm not speaking out against Donald Trump. If it's not Donald Trump, I want somebody like him. We want somebody who will take on the deep state and start cleaning up our federal government. And has Donald Trump been unfairly persecuted? Absolutely he has. And if, if you want me to take the indictment of Donald Trump seriously, then you need to have indicted Hillary Clinton. You need to have charged her with felonies. You need to have indicted and charged with felonies Hunter Biden. Instead, instead, what you did with Hunter Biden is let the statute of limitations clock run out so that you didn't have to issue an indictment on what appears to be clearly felonious, completely illegal tax evasion. With respect to Hillary Clinton, I was sitting with my family in a vacation rental in on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, on July the fifteenth to on July the fifth this this day, two thousand sixteen, when um, when uh, the FBI Director James Comey came out and said um, all of the things that Hillary Clinton had done that were illegal, they were clearly illegal, that were that constituted clear violations of federal law, and then in the next breath said that no reasonable prosecutor would bring charges. Well, I bet you a reasonable prosecutor would have brought charges if that had been Donald Trump in that position or it had been any any Republican, if it had been Mitt Romney or Bob Dole or John McCain or George W. Bush or anybody else who ran for president. I guarantee you it would, there would have been an entirely different conversation. Hillary Clinton was let completely off the hook for clear violations of federal law. And so if you... You then want to turn around and and have a legitimate prosecution of Donald Trump. You have forfeited the goodwill and the trust of the American people, and there will always be a cloud hanging over anything that you do to prosecute Donald Trump. That is goes the the Trump Russia collusion. The FBI knew they knew that what they were acting on was opposition research from the Clinton campaign. And they, they yet presented it to a FISA court, a federal judge, and swore to it as probable cause to believe that Donald Trump was colluding with the Russians to steal the election. And they knew better. They knew it wasn't true. And they did it anyway. And now you want to turn around and say, well, yes, but this prosecution of Donald Trump is completely legitimate. Hey, Maybe it is, but I don't trust you anymore. I won't take what you say at face value, and you will never, ever get the, the, the necessary support of the majority of the American people for that prosecution, even if it is a legitimate prosecution, and I'm not saying that it is. Although we've had guests on this show who say that Donald Trump actually has some legal vulnerability under that prosecution, under that indictment. The fact is, it never should have been brought if you were unwilling to treat similarly situated people on the other side of the aisle the exact same way. But all of that said, for a number of reasons, 
you could wind up that Donald Trump winds up not being the nominee. Right now, though, it looks like the Ron DeSantis campaign is in just not it's just not catching on. And um, it's he's not gaining any traction. And the other the other candidates, and there's a long list of them. None of them are out of single digits, really. So it right now looks like Donald Trump could be will be the nominee. But remember, things change in the year between now and this time next year when we'll know who the nominees really are. Um, but Rob may be right. We could look up this time next year and find out that it is neither Joe Biden nor Donald Trump on their respective tickets for the 2024 presidential election. What do you think? 888-788-9910-888-788-9910. Here's what what the the Biden camp is doing with respect to what's going on 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 the Republican side and how they're handling the Biden campaign. Jeff Mason on Fox News Live uh, talking about Biden's not yet campaigning. He says their strategy is to let the chaos on the Republican side play out. Cut four. When President Obama was running for re-election, obviously also an incumbent, he would have also focused on and did focus on fundraising uh, in those early months before he started doing rallies uh, in the, for the general. I, I don't think that part is unusual. I think maybe what is a little bit different with President Biden is he and his his advisors have determined that the best strategy right now is to show him governing, show that he can and is doing the job and doing it well, uh, at least well according to the people who support him. The other piece, I think, of that strategy is see that there is a lot more chaos on the on the Republican side and just let that play out. And I think that's part of why you're not seeing him doing a lot of active campaigning yet either. Okay, that's probably true. But with that said, is he still good to go by this time in the summer next year? I, I look at Joe Biden, and I'm not I'm not being partisan here. I look at a guy who's really failing fast. And if I were a Democrat, it would scare me to death for that guy to be my nominee, uh, particularly given his low poll numbers and given the the, the fact that 70-plus percent of Americans say the country's headed in the wrong direction. You don't have a lot going for you if you're Joe Biden right now. If he's going to be the nominee, I think that's going to be a... If I were a Democrat, I would really be looking at that hard. But I agree with what um, what Jeff Mason just said there. I think what they're doing is letting the letting the Republicans take the stage, and Joe Biden sits sits quietly um, and lets the lets the, the Republican side um, damage each other. And that appears to be what's happening. Your thoughts on all of this? Eight 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 seven eight eight ninety nine ten. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fella. It's Fox Across America. There's more coming. It's the number one show with humans and animals. Nice beaver. Thank you. I just had it stuffed. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Paul Gleiser for Jimmy Fallon here on Fox Across America, 888-788-9910. Michael in Denton, Texas, you're our leadoff caller. What's on your mind? Hey, Paul, boy, I really enjoy it when uh, you fill in for Jimmy, bud. So, Thank you uh, a lot. Great job. And Thank you, you. Your topics are always spot on. I love your analogy of halftime. Yep, you know, first half of the game, 
time to get a little beer, a little hot dogs, those kind of things. So, so let's look at the second half. Well, here's my problem, Paul. I think half the stadium watching this game, they don't even know what's going on. Think about all the things this year, just in the past six months, that the media has not spent one second covering. All the investigations, all the things from the laptop. So half the stadium doesn't even really know what's going on. I mean, they're just, they, they don't want to know. I, I've got a theory that they don't want to know what's going on because if they start digging in, even just a little bit, their house of cards about how wonderful Biden is, how wonderful things are going, will collapse. What do you think about that? I tell you what, one of the things I love about doing this show is the callers are better at it than I am. That is an absolutely perfect analogy. Half the stadium doesn't know what's happening on the field. Yes. I yes. mean, that's absolutely, and- that's absolutely true, and it's because we don't have a news media that is, has the integrity and the curiosity to look at what's going on with their guys. First of all, they shouldn't have guys. They, yes. They shouldn't, you yep. know, I know that all those people, we, we all bring our biases to work with us every day. I bring my biases to work. You bring your biases to work. We all have our biases. But we are, we're, we're required, particularly if you're, in the, if you're covering the news, you're required to do to the best of your human limitations to, to set those biases aside and try to look at things objectively. And at one time, the news media in this country really kind of tried to do that. There's that famous sign that was in the Chicago Sun newsroom or one of the Chicago papers that said, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. You know, that kind of cynicism we we need back. The, the news media today doesn't even try to be objective. There, the, the press, ha- I mean, you mentioned Woodward and Bernstein earlier in, in Watergate. Oh, the stuff that is going on and being uncovered right now makes Watergate look like a mosquito on the windshield of the country. It's it's just crazy. And, Absolutely and it is. Hey, listen, in- I'm, I'm going to have to bail on you here, Michael, but you're 100% correct, and I love your analogy. Half the country sitting there in the stadium doesn't know what's happening on the field. More of Fox Across America coming up in the second hour. Stay with us. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Kicking off Hour 2 of Fox Across America, Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon and taking your calls, 888-788-9910. Yesterday, a pretty big story broke, broke on a holiday. We're talking about it today. Um, federal judge in, in Louisiana, in, in a case filed by the uh, Attorney General for Louisiana, Jeff Landry, um, has put in place an injunction against the, the Biden administration telling them you cannot contact social media companies and tell them to take down posts and, and items on the site that you don't like. Because what the, what it all stems from uh, back during the, the dark days of COVID when Anybody who put something up that the administration didn't like with respect to the COVID-19 response, the administration would simply call up Facebook or call up Twitter and say, you have to take that down, and they did. And so the federal government was doing via the back door what it can't do through the front door, which is to 
restrict speech. Under the First Amendment, the federal government can't do it. So they got social media companies to do it. They did it indirectly rather than in, rather than directly. This federal judge says there is likelihood at trial that you're going to lose on that. And as a consequence, the right now the White House is enjoined. In, in There's an injunction that says you can't do that. Here's Jeff Landry. This is why this is important. This is why this is a story. Here's Jeff Landry. He is the attorney general for the state of Louisiana. He is running for governor. Here's what he said on Fox and Friends this morning with respect to why this matters. It's cut 12. They allow the social media companies to take down the New York Post uh, articles and basically debunk the whole myth that the Hunter Biden laptop was actually real. I mean, think about that. We know the one thing that we do know is that that story would have absolutely tilted the election in favor of then President Donald Trump. Yeah, we do know that. And there's been plenty of polling that suggests that, which is why you can't have the administration, Republican or Democrat, you can't have them doing through the back door what they can't do through the front door, which is restrict speech. The fact that that uh, Twitter took down for about two weeks uh, the New York Post's account, just canceled it, suspended it, made it so that the New York Post could not communicate to its uh, to its audience via Twitter. They took that down because they. Um, they didn't want the story of Hunter Biden's laptop to gain traction. The fact that they did that is, in my opinion, a clear violation of the First Amendment. And there's no way in the world that you can you can legitimize suspending the account of a major American daily newspaper. In the case of the New York Post, the oldest daily newspaper in the United States, established by none other than Alexander Hamilton. So... This is a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big story, and it broke yesterday. The ruling was handed down by the judge in Louisiana yesterday on the 4th of July. So um, that's worth talking about as well, 888-788-9910. On the line, we have Pete in my uh, hometown of Tyler, Texas. Pete, what's on your mind? Hello, Bill. Uh, uh, nice talking to you here. Uh, no, it's Paul. It's Paul. It's no, my no. attention. Hey, hold on, hold on, Builders. I mean, Pete, it's it's Paul, not Bill. You're thinking of a, a the Bill on my radio station, and please God, yeah, you're correct, sir. <laughs> yeah, don't confuse the two of us. It's Paul here. But what's on your mind? Okay, so I understand that you uh, you seem like you're not a, a Trump fan, but I'm a big I mean, Trump us, fan. Oh, hold on, stop. I'm a big <laughs> Trump fan. I was a huge fan of his presidency. Huge fan. Okay, that's and I, that's and kind I, of what is. And before I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you get your 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 say in, but just establish the the basis here. I was early early on in 2016, going all the way back to the New Hampshire primary. I looked at Donald Trump and I said he's going to be the nominee. There's a good chance he's going to win. He's going to win. I was the I was saying, and you can go look me up on this at my blog, youtellmetexas.com. I was said he's the only one of the 17 Republican candidates that were on the debate stage for the first debate in the in in 2015 I said he's the only one who can has a chance of beating Hillary Clinton so I'm not not a Trump fan I am a Trump fan I'm worried about his electability now so go well yeah I, I kind of 
I kind of think that the Democrats have hurt themselves with what they're trying trying to do. This man, even though he's not in office, they're still they're trying to take him out any way they can. They're that much in fear of them. The way we look at it out here in the field is, you know, the lobbyists own both sides. They own the left senators, they own the right senators, and uh, bribery, just plain and simple. They bought them out. Trump is the only one that I can think of that isn't owned by Big Pharma or the military-industrial complex. He's he's his own man. He's for the people. And, yeah, I'm, I mean, that's why there's still 75, 80 million of us. I've never well, seen a Republican do anything like he's done when he was president. I, I, Pete, I totally agree with you. I mean, he's the most conservative president. He, 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 he actually was more conservative, and he got more done um, for the good of the country than Ronald Reagan. He was, he was a, his administration was extremely effective. And, and I will go to my grave believing, had, had it not been for the COVID pandemic, he would have easily won re-election. Um, the, the COVID pandemic allowed a whole lot of things to intervene that completely changed the dynamic of the 2020 electoral cycle. I think, he, I think Donald Trump would be president today were it not for the pandemic. But here's my concern, Pete. The, the worst thing that can happen is to get uh, to reelect Joe Biden. I mean, that is unthinkable. We, we simply, first of all, I don't think he's, I'll be surprised if he finishes his term, but assuming he did in one reelection, there's no way in the world he finishes a second term. So the worst thing that can happen is reelect him, and I'm worried about Trump's electability given how razor thin the margins are in the swing states that a Republican has to win in order to win the presidency. It's not the popular vote. It's not the 80 million people you talk about. It can boil, boil down to 20 or 30,000 votes out of, out of 160 million cast. And that's what scares me about Donald Trump right now. What do you think? Well, I think that, I think that everybody can see that this is all political. Uh, you know, it's a political game. It's, it's banana republic tactics to take out your opponents. That's, they're full of fear for this man. No question about that. And and listen, I've had pretty smart guys, you know, really, really good lawyers have read the Trump indictment. People who are, who have actual expertise in, in, in this area, in federal law, former federal prosecutors, have read the Trump indictment. And they tell me, and they're, they're, they're not anti-Trump guys, have told me that Trump has some vulnerability in this indictment. That unlike the Alvin Bragg Manhattan indictment, which is a complete crock and, and just a, a total load of hooey, the the federal indictment that was handed up in in Florida actually has some merit to it. That is concerning to me. Yes, well, you know, I mean, when you look at the other side and the Biden corruption with all the money they've taken from these foreign governments. And, you know, we don't hear anything about that as far as pursuing no, that. No, you're 100 percent right, Pete. We don't. And, it, and, it, and it, as I said in the previous hour, if you want me to really, really take the, uh, the, the federal indictment against Trump at face value, if you really want me to, to accept that at face value, you need to have been equally zealous in your prosecution of felonious behavior by um, – Hillary Clinton 
And you need to be equally zealous in your prosecution of Hunter Biden. And the fact that they willfully just let the statute of limitations run out on massive tax evasion on Hunter Biden, complete, well, not completely, but very largely to a damaging degree, reduces the legitimacy of anything they want to do to Donald Trump. Oh, yeah, completely. So, but with all of that said, my concern about Donald Trump is he has, you know, he has behaved in such a way as he's alienated enough people right there on the on the feather edge margins in places like Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, hard to believe I'm saying this, Georgia should be a reliably red state, but Georgia's not reliably red anymore. Places like that where you just a few votes, not very many, or or just a few nominal Republican voters who stay home that you end up losing the Electoral College. The fact is, with respect to Republicans and winning elections, when the Democrats win the Electoral College, they win big. When Republicans win the Electoral College, they barely squeak by. The, the electoral map is heavily stacked in favor of Democrats. It is hard for Republicans to win presidential elections the way the electoral map is right now. You got to pick off a of Pennsylvania, you got to pick off a of Michigan, you got to pick off a of Wisconsin, a Nevada, an Arizona. You got to get those kinds of states or you're not going to win the general election and the margins are raising razor razor thin. Just squeaky thin. Pete appreciate your call 888-788-9910 if you'd like to be a part of the program. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Daniel Turner with Power of the Future is going to be our guest. We have plenty to talk about with him. Talk about what the things that we've talked about here in the first uh, hour and 20 minutes of the show. It is halftime. This is the middle of the year. I have a prediction from, from one listener via text that neither Donald Trump nor Joe Biden will be their respective party's nominees in 2024. Here in the middle of 2023, what is your prediction? Where does the game stand? Where do you see it at the end of the year as we start the election year of 2024? 888-788-9910. Fox Across America. Paul Gleiser sitting in. There's more coming up. The show that solves problems the old-fashioned way. You and me are going to fight when that bell rings at 3 o'clock. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's Fox Across America. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here on this Wednesday, the day after the 4th of July. I'll be with you the rest of the week, and I'll be taking your calls at 888-788-9910. I let off the show by saying it's halftime. This is, this is the middle of the year, the year before an election year. Where do we stand? Where does the game stand? Both leading candidates, Republican and Democrat, have some real problems. Uh, on, the, on the Republican side... Donald Trump is under federal indictment for for violating federal law, felonies that carry real prison time if uh, possibly, you know, theoretically if he's convicted. On the other side, Joe Biden is, is on the very f- precipice of being credibly accused of having taken bribes in order to influence American policy toward our adversaries. It looks like he's in the pocket of the Chinese. That's a real problem. So where does this play out by the end of the year when we start the 2024 year election year cycle in earnest, when we really start primary season? 
when we start with New Hampshire and the Iowa caucuses and move on to South Carolina and start moving toward figuring out who the nominees are going to be. Rob, listener on my radio station in Tyler, says it's going to be neither of them. What do you think? 888-788-9910. JR, Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri, you're up. What do you think? Well, I don't think there's anything that can happen that would change Trump from being your next president. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't think okay. it's, I don't think you can stop it. Okay, well well defend that defend that assertion. Why do you say that? Well, like your previous caller said, he's got 80 million people supporting him. He's the number 1 and number 2 vote getter in the history of our nation to say that he can't win the general to me is absurd. Nobody's ever gotten more votes than him. And uh, and and know, he, yeah, but J but Jr. I'm and listen, I'm I want to be real clear. I'm not anti-Trump here. I'm 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 really I'm not, not accusing you of it. I'm not accusing okay, you but, of but, it. But, but, I, but you got you you, you got to focus on this simple fact: the eighty focusing on the eighty million votes in the in the in the popular vote count is like focusing on the first downs in a in a football game. It's a meaningful statistic, but in the end, it's not the one that counts. The one that counts is how many electoral votes do you get, and you have to win that state by state. And in those swing states that are hard for Republicans to win, that's where it gets scary for Donald Trump. Not for Donald Trump, not for me, but just for you. Donald Trump no, gets for hundreds Don, no, of thousands believe, more believe votes. Believe me. Believe me, Jr. For Donald Trump, they are their campaign. They're smart people. They know what they're up against in Pennsylvania. They know what they're up against in Michigan. They know what they're up against in Wisconsin. They know it's tough. the 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 margins in those states are really, really thin. It's re- when a Democrat wins the electoral college, the Democrat wins big. When a Republican wins the electoral college, you barely squeak by. Those are smart people in the Trump campaign. They know what they're up against. It's really tough, and the rest of the GOP knows it too. Did you, did we lose you, Jr.? Okay, well, all right, Jr. Listen, you know the. Be, I, I appreciate your passion for Donald Trump. I appreciate your passion for the fact that you see him as a guy who is against the things that are going on in the country that are completely wrong. I get that. I have complete passion for Donald Trump's presidency. His his four years in office, I thought from a policy point of view, were absolutely triumphant. He the things that he got done were spectacular and the and and every Americans from every um socioeconomic cohort were doing better particularly those that are traditionally on the bottom rungs of the socioeconomic ladder we had black people moving into the middle class at a higher rate than ever before lowest black unemployment since they've been keeping records the 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 middle class that big beautiful invention of america the middle class the magic of what makes america the wealthiest nation in the world is not because of its of its uber wealthy every nation has its uber wealthy what america has that makes it rich is the middle class the middle class had not had a raise in real income in 30 years until the presidency of donald trump and the and the economic 
the economic conditions that he put in place, the fact that we were energy independent for the first time in 70 years, that is a Donald Trump accomplishment. It was a great thing. It made it it changed the 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 geopolitical order in the Middle East for the betterment of the world. That was all good stuff. I am all about what Donald Trump accomplished during the four years of his presidency. And I will always regret that this China virus showed up and derailed what was a roaring, fantastically effective American economy. I wish Donald Trump had been more of a deficit hawk. I wish he had been more of a of a of a hawk on on reducing the national debt there are a lot of things that i wish he had done but what he did get done i'm a huge fan so i'm not anti-trump i am only concerned that it's going to be tough for him to get reelected uh in 2024 given all of the things that are going on not to say that it's going to be a cakewalk for his uh, opponent joe biden assuming that really is his opponent we'll talk about all of that We have Daniel Turner coming up here on Fox Across America. Stay with us. It's Fox Across America. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon and wanting to hear from you as the show goes along. 888-788-9910. Right now, we're hearing from Daniel Turner with Power of the Future. Daniel, thanks for joining the show today. Always great to be on with you. Thanks for having me. Listen, I'm sitting here in the great state of Texas. We are an energy-producing state. We're proud of it. We uh, Texas has that whole that whole mythology of the big swaggering oil man. But the fact is, here in a, here in the great state of Texas, right now, I just looked on the uh, on the website that where you can look at these things. Forty percent of the power being produced in the great state of Texas right now is coming from wind and solar. So this is a this is an all of the above state. So with that as background, Daniel, give me your perspective on the um, on the administration's fixation on what they call renewable energy sources to the exclusion of everything else. Yeah, you know th- this is this is a huge push by the administration to get rid of fossil fuels, and uh, and it's part of this. I, what I call one of the big green lies, and the lie is that fossil fuels are used predominantly to make electricity, and that's what renewables do. That's what wind and solar do when they work. They they produce electricity, but fossil fuels do an awful lot more than that. Um, and so, as the administration pushes to get rid of fossil fuels, and they say this very bluntly, Biden brags about the fact that he wants to get rid of fossil fuels. It just asks a lot of questions. For example, wind and solar are made from fossil fuels. Um, So how do we make them if we get rid of fossil fuels? Wind and solar are backed up by fossil fuels. Um, You know, ERCOT, the the Texas energy grid, um, very proudly announces when wind and solar are working. But when they fail, they have to rely on coal and natural gas um, that always work, regardless of the wind blowing or the sun shining. Um, so it's it, 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 it's very bizarre to see the administration demonize this industry when, quite frankly, the life that we live in America couldn't exist without fossil fuels. And that's why I'll continue to advocate them, regardless of whether or not it's politically popular or not. Well, so, so here's where, where I get hung up. Here, here in Texas, 
where you say you're correct, ERCOT very proudly announces when big percentages of the power are coming from wind and solar. But the fact is the majority still coming from from natural gas and coal. And w- when the wind doesn't blow, which it doesn't always do, and when the sun doesn't shine, which is roughly half the time, what do they, if they're going to go zero fossil fuels, what's going to fill that gap? What, I, what I've never gotten to, to a clear understanding of, what is going to, what technology is going to get the half that's being produced in Texas, which is a fairly low percentage. Some states, it's a much higher percentage produced by fossil fuels. How are you going to close that gap? Exactly. And, and that's a huge problem because when you, are, when you don't have a solution for that inevitable fact that it is absolutely inevitable, then you are compromising the quality of life for your citizens. And that's why we see now, and we've seen this for the last couple of years, the routine announcement coming from governors, Republican and Democrat. Hey, everybody, electric grid is really struggling. Uh, you know, we encourage you to uh, turn off your air conditioner if possible and use fans instead. Hey, don't do laundry after 4 p.m. because your washing machine and dryer take up a lot of power. The governor of California, who wants to make um, the combustion engine uh, obsolete by forcing people to buy EVs, will then send out an email saying, hey, everybody, don't charge your electric vehicles. The grid can't sustain it. And so you you raise a really important question that we need to have on a national level. If we do not produce enough electricity to sustain this quality of life, well, then what compromises are we willing to make as a people for this green agenda? And I got to tell you, and this is not a knock on the American people, but but it is just an, an observation of our culture and of humanity. Um, we are not willing to make any sacrifices at all. Uh, Americans do not want to put up with heat or cold. They don't want to put up with discomfort. They want their avocados in the middle of a polar vortex, right? John Kerry's not giving up his private jet, but he'll tell you you shouldn't do laundry at 4.30 in Houston during a heat wave. And so you know, the American people are not willing to compromise the quality of life that they lead. And I say good for them. Right? We don't live in this country and, and, and work hard and pay the taxes we do to live like the, the third world. We, we deserve to live like Americans. I'm not sacrificing my quality of life, and it's not upon government to ask me to start to sacrifice because they can't do their job. Well, you know, before we had, uh, before we had vehicles, you know, combustion engine-powered vehicles, we had streets that were rivers of horse excrement. I mean, does is that what they want us to go back to? That's a great question. Uh, but you're, you're pointing out something that the left is incapable of doing. We're always improving, right? We're always getting better. We're always getting – we're heading in the right direction. Um, you know, they talk about uh, – again, they demonize fossil fuels, and, and I'm glad you as a Texan are proud of the industry because all Americans should be. Even before John Kerry came into his his czarship and Joe Biden was elected, over the last 20-some-odd years, we've reduced our emissions, if that's your metric. And Lord knows that's now one of the commandments is lowering emissions. We've reduced our emissions as a nation by by close to 20 percent over the last two decades. We never applaud that. Right? The left will tell you that we have closed half the coal plants in this country. Now, it has made our electric grid weak, no doubt. 
but it is a fact we have closed half our coal plants. Is our air 50% better? How can we never applaud the fact that, nope, if you ask the leftists, they will tell you we're all about to die still any minute. And so you realize that all these metrics, all these numbers are all fake. Uh, you realize that no matter the progress we make as a people or as a society, the left is never content because they're incapable of being content. They're a bunch of malcontents. Um, they, they, they dislike humanity. They dislike progress. And that's why they take the 4th of July to tweet nasty things about the nation and, and talk about oppression and talk about America as if it were still 1850. Uh, they don't, they're incapable of recognizing progress, um, and, and that's why we have to fight them tooth and nail. Listen, let me get you to address the the underlying premise of all of this headlong rush away from fossil fuels, and that is that the our use of fossil fuels is so imperiling the planet that if we don't stop, we are going to come to climactic Armageddon. We will destroy the planet and make the, the make the the Earth unlivable. Let's examine the core premise of why we have to uh, abandon fossil fuels. What do you say on that? Yeah, I mean, that's a really scary prospect, and I would uh, be deeply concerned about it and kept up late at night if it wasn't for the fact that I've been hearing this for, and I'm going to be 50 next year, if it wasn't for the fact that I've been hearing this for my entire life. It's like Friday the 13th, part 11, right? This time, Jason's really back. And this time you really have to be worried because he's going to do it, right? I remember very clearly being a sophomore in high school, the very first hugely alarming IPCC report in 1989 that talked about if we don't drastically reduce fossil fuels by the year 2000. Last time they made a concrete prediction, or I should say a prediction this concrete, because it's laughable. They predicted that by the year 2000, the Maldives would be underwater, as well as most of Bangladesh. They were as specific as that. Well, 20, 2000 has come and gone, and actually the Maldives have built, last I saw, four new airports because the Maldives are a huge tourist attraction. So how come that prediction didn't come true? And how come the prediction of 2000 didn't come true in 2004 and 2011 and 2017? We've been hearing this for years, and every year we seem to continue to use fossil fuels because we want this wonderful existence. We want this robust life and all of the good that come with fossil fuels, and none of the predictions ever come true. So here they are again with another report, and they're, oh boy, oh boy, Paul, this time it is very, very serious if we don't act now. Well, you know what? Not only have they never been proven right, that's the first thing I would say, why this is all a joke. The second thing is, in their personal life, they do nothing, I mean literally nothing, to live these mandates. Best example is John Kerry and his private jet. Has Joe Biden ever once foregone the weekend in Delaware where he takes a fleet of Air Force One and SUVs and Marine One helicopters because he wants to go away for the weekend? Has he ever once said, you know what, because of my carbon footprint, I'm just going to stay in the White House, which, uh, from what I've heard, is actually a, a very nice residence. And now it turns out it's full of cocaine, for all I knew. <laughs> Has he ever once stayed in the White House? Nope. So John Kerry doesn't have to sacrifice. Joe Biden doesn't have to sacrifice. Leonardo DiCaprio, you see page six, is all over some 
private yacht. He was on another private yacht. He private jet landing in the Hamptons. None of these guys ever have to sacrifice in their personal life, but they have to scare the rest of us that we have to give up our livelihood for this cause. So, you know, I put those two factors together, the fact that they've been lying to me for 50 years and the fact that they don't live it in their life. And you can tell everyone you believe that smoking is bad and it's going to cause cancer. But if you're up to two and a half packs a day, then I don't think I'm really going to believe your hype. Daniel Turner, Power of the Future. Listen, Barack Obama and Michelle have uh, bought a place on the shore at Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> Yet they think the sea level is going to rise. Yeah. A couple of years ago, uh, back in, this, in in September of 2022, Jimmy Fallon, the, you know, the regular host of this show, had Charles McBee on, and they were making the point. I'm going to play you this cut. They were making the point that climate change is a fixation of the liberal, white, and wealthy. Listen to this. I don't actually know anybody who's not a really rich white person who yeah. cares about climate change. Do you? Uh, no. No, no, no. I say it's a white privilege issue. If we were ever going to talk, like, prioritizing the weather in 30 years, you're in a really good place. There, we, and by we, some other place that I work at, uh, did a segment on this very thing mm -hmm. where we went to um, a very, uh, uh, Long Island, uh, the Hamptons, uh -huh. and asked people about climate change. And then we went to Brooklyn <laughs> and asked people about climate change and got two very different responses. Yeah. If you're no privileged to be worried about climate, then you're doing great. I think that pretty much sums it up. What do you say? Spot on. Uh, it really is. It is It is the epitome of white privilege. Um, it's the epitome of white privilege of someone like Greta Thunberg, who recently was speaking again before some U.N. panel and still complaining about her childhood and how repressed that she is because of climate change. And yet her green ideology right now has around 40,000 Congolese slave children working in cobalt mines because they're the ones who are making all of the raw materials for the wind and the solar and the EVs and the batteries. So it's the privilege of a little uh, a Swedish a teenager to, to, call, to declare that she's somehow repressed, right? It, it is amazing that, that people uh, cling to this as a cause because it clearly shows how privileged their life is in other aspects. You mentioned the, the former president and Michelle, you know, God love them. I hope to buy a 30-acre compound one day on the water in Martha's Vineyard. But the most telling thing for me... Yeah, but look who your neighbors would be. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. But the telling thing for me is not that they bought the place and could afford it or that it was on the water. The telling thing was that when he was caught, the president was caught applying for permits for two 1,000-gallon uh, uh, propane tanks for... Uh, uh, for, for generator and for fossil fuel redundancies. Now, I live fairly off the grid in rural Virginia. I have a 1,000-gallon propane tank. I'm not knocking him for doing that, but I also don't live on the water. Why didn't he put up wind turbines, right? He's got 30 acres of land. Why didn't he put up some solar panels? Well, you know what? Barack doesn't want to compromise his water views. He doesn't want to give up his land. So he did what people who can afford to do it do. He bought a propane tank because it works and it's discreet and it's reliable, and he doesn't have to look at it. And so in your personal life, if you do not live what you want government to force other people to live in their life, you are my enemy and you are a threat. And that's exactly what these Greens are. They do not live it in their personal life, but they want to force government to make you and I live it, and that is why they are my enemy. Daniel Turner, if somebody wants to get smart about this, who is the power of the future, if somebody wants to be conversant, to be able to talk about this and debate it at Thanksgiving dinner or wherever the, the topic comes up, where can they go? 
They can go to powerthefuture.com because we have a lot of this stuff there. And Or reach out to me. You know, I give up my email address, Daniel at powerthefuture.com. Shoot me a note. Ask me your hardest question because these are not complicated issues. They're politicized, weaponized issues, and they can all be dispelled if you just know how. Daniel Turner, powerthefuture.com. Daniel, we appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Great being on. Have a great rest of your week. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fail of Fox Across America. More's coming. Stay with us. Call in now. We're excited to hear from you. Who the f- is this? This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Fox Across America, Paul Gleiser for Jimmy Fallon today and the rest of the week. Follow me on my weekly column, you tell me Texas.com. I write it from Texas. You can comment from anywhere. You tell me Texas.com. Meanwhile, we're in Brooklyn. Alex, you're up on Fox Across America. What's on your mind? Hey, Paul. Thanks so much for taking the call. Yeah, you, I, I want to comment on what you were talking about, Trump being the nominee most probably. I think that that's going to end up happening unless uh, unless they, they pull something on him and they say since he's indicted, he can't run, which would be very unfair. But I do see that uh, what Ron DeSantis is doing is he's going extremely right, even much right, much more to the right than President Trump, like, you know, coming out with an abortion ban limit that he's going to have, which is very early on in the process. And that's going to make him less electable in the general election. But he's still in the general election, have a bigger shot than President Trump, because the Democrats think Trump is a monster and the hate was built up for years now. But I, I think ultimately Ron would not be able to win against President Trump because you have the other candidates that are in the race that are going to be splitting it up uh, between him and them. You know, Trump is staying with his strong base, but Tim Scott, DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Vivek Ramaswamy and the others are going to split up the other uh, voters. And eventually the other candidates are going to step out of the race, like Tim Scott and Nikki Haley is going to be Ron DeSantis and Trump. But by then, uh, DeSantis' enthusiasm is going to be gone, I think. And the, he, I don't think he stands any chance. You don't Trump. think you don't you don't think Ron DeSantis stands any chance? Nope. Uh, I you know I think it would be a good thing because he's more electable in the general election. And I agree with you. You know I like President Trump, but I just don't think he can make it. And all the Trump supporters and lovers, they got to face reality. They got to move away from their emotions and look at the numbers and the facts. Uh, we lost the midterm election because of Trump, uh, and in, in 2020 there were some shenanigans, but it was also the hatred. Uh, how did Biden get any votes? It was because not that people in the Democratic Party voted for him. They voted against President Trump. So, uh, you know, you can like President Trump, and it's sad that he's not electable, but he isn't, and they got to face that. Well, here's what, here's what Doug's shown. He's a Democratic strategist, but he's, um, but he's a pretty sharp guy. Here's what he, here's what he says. Uh, it's cut three. There is no sign of him moving. Indeed, the opposite. He seems mired at about 21 or 22. He's going to spend an enormous amount, Tammy, in Iowa and New Hampshire, two states where he polls relatively better than he does nationally, but still trails former President Trump by 20 points. But these are tough, tough margins to make up, both in those two first primary states and nationally. Donald Trump is the odds-on favorite as we sit here today. So says Douglas Schoen. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Alex, appreciate your call. It's uh, Fox Across America. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fela here and taking your calls, 888-788-9910. The third hour is coming up. Stay with us. 
Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, yeah. oh, yes, it is. Hour three of Fox Across America with Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy. He'll be here uh, the rest of this hour and Thursday and Friday sitting in for Jimmy. He'll be back on Monday. Meanwhile, it's you and me at 888-788-9910. We let off the show talking about here the, the week of July 4th always marks the, the midpoint of the year. It's halftime. It, in halftime 2023, this is where we stand. We have a sitting U.S. president being credibly accused of bribery. We have a former president who's a candidate to be president again, who is indicted on federal charges of mishandling classified materials. We have the son of the sitting president acting as a conduit for millions of dollars to flow into the family's coffers, selling influence, peddling peddling influence, essentially selling access to the office. And we have a country that is generally feeling like it's not headed in the right direction. It's more than 70% of Americans say the country's headed in the wrong direction. So here in halftime 2023, where do you see that going by the end of the year? Do Donald Trump and Joe Biden wind up on the ticket are they the, still the clear front runners for the nomination at the end of this year as they are here in the middle of the year? What do you think? 888-788-9910 to advance that conversation. It's Bob and Tyler listening on my radio station, KTBB. Bob, thanks for joining us. What's on your mind? Uh, yes, sir. I just wanted to uh, give an alternate option that's available. Okay. So we have Trump versus Biden, uh, everyone knows that Biden's in some serious hot water right now, and Trump's been attacked for the last seven years. So if we're not following an election strategy, we're following a narrative strategy, the two people that could wind up being uh, the next nominees would be DeSantis versus Newsom. DeSantis is working as much as he can right now. I don't think he has enough to carry the entire nation. He's got support in the South, but not really anywhere else to give him enough power to have an electoral college flip. However, Newsom is related to Pelosi. Newsom is related to Feinstein. Newsom has been groomed quite well. If you saw the uh, last two interviews on Hannity, I think no, he's he scares be me to death. Me, Bob, he scares me to death. No question. Same he here. is. He's good. So if it winds up being that Trump is not available for election because of the federal indictments and Biden obviously is not fit to run anymore, if we have DeSantis versus Newsom, who do you think wins? Well, that's an interesting question. It's going to be it'll totally boil down to how well can DeSantis sell his story. Now, DeSantis is, you know, he's a pretty direct guy, and he is not afraid to stand up to the media, and I like that about him. And he's, and I don't think he gives a damn who doesn't like him. So he's not trying to make the media like him. One of the reasons that I think that Mitt Romney failed in 2012 is, you know, he wanted to be gentlemanly and get along with the media, and they just ate him alive. So I think DeSantis has some of the tools to prevail in what's going to be a very hostile environment. It'll be hostile for any Republican. But And, and DeSantis has compare Florida to California going for him because California is depopulating while people are flooding into Florida, many of them from California. And you can look at the success of one state and the just the dystopia of the other. DeSantis would have some things going for him, but Bob, I'll tell you, um, Newsom is good. 
he's sharp and he's he is a good looking guy. He is well spoken. He is media savvy. Uh, I saw those interviews with um, the the series with uh, Sean Hannity. Uh, he's very very good, and I think he'd be very formidable. I think that would. You know, I think what I'm hearing you say is that it would be hands down Newsom. I don't think it would be, but um, I think it would be way, way more, way closer than we would like. I'm hoping that's not what happens. I'm saying that's my concern. So, looking at it from a narrative standpoint, if you're following all the push for ESG, you're following the push for what's going on with COP26, COP27, Davos, WEF. The one who aligns with that most is going to be Newsom. If Newsom already has the backing of Pelosi and Feinstein because he's related to him, you now have Pelosi, who is getting property down in Florida, just like you were talking about earlier. Obama's getting property in uh, Martha's Vineyard, but that's part of the conversation about climate change and the debunked theory of that is another conversation for another day. But it looks like they're setting it up to be that way. So with Texas being already semi-purple, which is a scary thought, you only need five of the major metropolitan areas. If Dallas is already turning blue, Houston's already turning blue, Austin and San Antonio are blue, all you really have left is El Paso or Amarillo. Well, who's in El Paso? That's Beto. Where is Beto from? Beto's from California. Will Beto ever stand a chance of doing anything in Texas? Obviously not. But he does have influence. He does have campaign dollars. Those campaign dollars can be funneled over toward Newsom to help out in Texas. You have a large California influx that's come from California to Texas and to Florida in the last two cycles of elections it seems like the narrative is being set up for that to happen. So, again, I'm hoping it doesn't, but that is a scary thought. And with us being in the trivial times we are now of what's going to happen in the next year to six years, you potentially could have Newsom as a president in 2024 or 2028. So uh, I don't know, think... You know, Bob, I, 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 I can't disagree with you because I think that's a, that's a real possibility. I think Newsom... I think, first of all, I think Newsom wakes up every morning when he when he looks in the mirror to shave, he sees a president looking back at him. Yeah, I, 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 I think I think people are noticing the distraction more than they're noticing the alternative. So that's my main reason for calling in today is saying I want people to pay attention to the alternatives as well and not be distracted by what's going on because everything right now is nothing but a distraction. Bob is a great call. Appreciate it, and um, thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the program. Open the line, 888-788-9910. Tom in Utica, New York. Tom, what's on your mind? Yes, hi. How are you doing today? Good. Good, good. I'm, I'm so glad I got in. I never I never get through. So um, I, I just wanted to respond to uh, to where you're asking who's going to be on the ticket, you know, Democratic ticket, ticket and Republican ticket. And, I, I mean, I still see it being Biden because uh, at, at this time they can still control everything, the narrative and everything. They're already in so deep with the DOJ and FBI. Why change anything? So they're going to – I still think Biden's going to be on the ticket. And, um, of course, Trump is the obvious choice for the Republican Party, and that's why they're trying to go after him so hard because they know if, if he goes that he'll most likely get it uh, unless we have a reoccurrence of what happened last year. Uh, not last year, last uh, election, whereas, you know, they controlled everything from that election as well, and Trump didn't end up winning. And, you know, I mean, my opinion, Biden did not get 87 million votes. So I just see um, Democratic Biden will still be on that ticket because um, the ones pulling the strings can continue pulling the strings. And um, Trump, I still think, on the Republican ticket because um, he's he's one of the – 
good ones for the people, by the people, and um, very transparent with, with what he does and very obvious that he wants the American people to prosper as a country as well as individually. All right, let me just, you know, your, your opinion counts as much as anybody's, and your, your, what you said there is just as plausible as anything anybody else could say. I just, I just look at, at Joe Biden and just think physically he just might not be up to it. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm looking at the guy. He just, he looks terrible and he's getting worse quickly. Oh, I, I agree. I, I agree that he won't be up to it, but that's, they'll work that all into their plan. If, if he can't do it, if there's any way they could, they could slide Camilla in there, the most unpopular VP um, in, in the history of VPs, um, you know, any way that they could still keep that control, they're going to keep him in the game as long as they could. You, you know, cause not for nothing, you know, I mean, uh, the Biden family, they like the money. They they like the money of all of it. Jill ain't going to give up letting Joe continue going for all this. And, and I mean, you know, they're just going to keep going the, the route that they're going. They're going to stay on that route in any way that they could work in Camilla if they have to as a backup plan. I mean, I see that happening or them trying to make it happen. All right. Tom, appreciate your call. 888-788-9910. George, Hedgesville, West Virginia, what do you say? Hey, thanks for taking my call. I uh, I heard you guys talking about Newsom. He's very debonair. He's very dashing. He'll have some media backing and all that. I tend to agree with you that Biden is not up to the task. I just wonder how much longer he can take it. But I also don't believe Gavin Newsom has a chance to get the Democratic nomination. Why do you say that? I say that based on his getting that reparations task force commission done. Uh, he started three years ago during the George Floyd riots. He wanted to show everybody he was going to take action. The commission came out last week with all kinds of recommendations. They put their final report. And the price tag on that, when you add up the formulas, could be close to a million dollars a person, a black citizens of uh, California. Are you talking about the you're talking about the whole reparations thing? The whole reparations thing. He has promised those people so much. They are demanding. If you listen to look at any of those hearings of what the people there were demanding, they want a lot more. It's sad. It's unfortunate what he's promised people. Unrealistic. And when the legislature meets this fall, he's already backed off a little bit and said, we'll have to see. They're facing a budget deficit deficit right now. He just upped the budget deficit. I think it's $51 billion. And the reparations is not going to go anywhere. And he's promised those people so much. I don't see him being able to deliver anything on that. And uh, it's going to cost him big time in uh, Democratic, especially progressive politics. He's promised them a whole bunch, and there's no money in the state. People are leaving the state. They're hemorrhaging people to going to other states. They've lost, they've lost billions in adjusted gross income, and uh, Newsom is going to be in big trouble in California. Well, when you say that, um, it is amazing what Californians will put up with in the name of leftism. Because if I were a Californian, I, <clears throat> I would have already said enough with the, uh, the, the massive homeless camps in Los Angeles, enough with the um, feces-riddled uh, streets in San Francisco. I've seen that myself personally. 
I have seen yeah. what beca- I've seen what became of San Francisco. San Francisco, my, my 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 first wife and I honeymooned in San Francisco. It was, this yeah. was a long long time ago. It was a, a, a truly beautiful, sparkling gem of an yeah. American city. It was charming, and it was unique, yeah. and it was a great place to go and visit. And I I was there about four years ago for the first time, almost since then. And I was appalled at what had happened to San Francisco, and yet people that live there keep voting for these people that make these things happen. And so I'm, yes. you say you say Newsom's going to be in big trouble in, in, in California. I don't know that I buy that because these people keep voting for this stuff, even though it's clearly not in their interest to do so. So I'm not sure that – but what – Newsom, and particularly to the rest of the country who are not really as plugged into California as Californians are, they're going to they look at a at a Newsom on TV and they're going to say that's a really good looking guy, and I'm a liberal and I'm a Democrat, and or I'm a kind of a squishy in the middle, lean left kind of person. They're going to look at Newsom and say, well, that's a guy that I could get behind. I think Newsom is a scary thing, George. I really do, and okay. I think if 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 i'm if i'm the democrats and i'm looking at, at joe biden failing as quickly as he is failing and looking at all the all the political problems he's having and the fact that this hunter biden laptop story just simply will not go away and the and the it's now becoming almost impossible to deny that he's in the tank for millions of dollars to our adversaries like china if i'm democrats i may be thinking about um, gavin newsom and saying he may be our guy because the Democrats, if they were sane, wouldn't believe what they believe anyway. So the the fact that that Newsom's got a problem with reparations can't afford it, I don't think that'll stop him. George, good stuff. I'm glad you called. 888-788-9910. More Fox Across America. Paul Gleiser filling in. Coming up. The show that's not afraid to tell you the truth. Not only are you not a very nice person, you're also a slob. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Midweek, mid-year here in America. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon, Fox Across America, and wanting to hear from you, 888-788-9910. We're in McAllen, Texas. And Alex, you're next on Fox Across America. What's on your mind? Hey, great show. Thank you. Are they going to set mail-in ballots, yes or no? Uh, yeah, they're going to mail in ballots. Well, that's are going terrible. to. That, well, yeah, but hold on, terrible. hold on. Here's here's the thing. A lot of states are going to accept mail in ballots. That's just something you're going to have to get used to. You know, Republicans have have you know, pursued the the strategy and the core belief that election day ought to be election day, and that you ought to have to vote on election day. And I agree with that a hundred percent. The fact is that's not how it's going to work. And the Republican Party, if it wants to win elections going forward, work and ballot angle and work the early voting angle and work all those things the same way the Democrats do. You're going to have to accept those things as a fact of life um, going forward. 20, Pennsylvania. 20, uh, sorry for interrupting because I know I'm short on time. 2024 is not ready for that yet, right? So we're going to, they're, going to, they're going to accept mail-in ballots in all these major cities, all these states that are close, right? Well, it depends on the state. It depends on the state. Pennsylvania, uh, in the seeing what they saw in uh, in 2020, uh, changed their voting laws. 
uh, Georgia, you know, cost them the all-star game, changed their voting laws. So the, the states, the state legislatures have recognized some of what went, what went on in 2020 and have taken steps to pr- keep it from happening again. And, and, and the, one of the mistakes that the Trump campaign made in 2020 is they were reactive to what happened instead of being proactive. They didn't see it coming. They didn't have, they didn't have legal teams in place ready to go. They didn't have good poll watching. They didn't, they didn't deal with all of the shenanigans that went on uh, with respect to collecting ballots in advance the way they should have. Don't think the Republican Party will make, make that mistake again. So, will it be perfect in 2024? No. Do I expect things will be better in 2024? Do I think that the, the Republican Party, whomever the nominee is, do I think they'll have a better handle on it? Yes, I think they will. Does that answer your question, Alex? Well, kind of. Well, kind of. Well, I understand. Uh, just that it's going to be very tough to beat these Democrats because if they're going to mail in ballots and harvest them ballots and just put them in when what they need, and it's going to go extending November 6th, that's going to be tough to even verify. It, it just what you, you in a tough position. Which is, which is why you set the ground rules on poll watching and all that sort of stuff early instead of trying to do it on game day. And and that's the mistake the Trump campaign made, and I don't think they'll make that mistake again. But yeah, it's it's a tough it's a tough one because if election day is not November sixth, it's going to happen again January or December, and it's going to man, that's going to be tough because ballots are going to come out of nowhere. That's just the way you know, people, all, all these people that are coming through the illegal border, they're going to sanctuary cities. They get my son's an immigration officer. They get their name and they fly out to all these sanctuary cities. Well, guess what? The Democrat Party is just going to get their name and put the mail-in ballot in there for them. That's the, that's that is that that's is people. certainly a concern. And if they do it in California, it doesn't make any difference because it's going to go vote Democratic anyway. It's the it's the key swing states where you where you really have to watch that. Hey, um, Alex, I'm up against a hard break. Appreciate your call. 888-788-9910. We have Ben Klein for Virginia coming up after the bottom of the hour. I hope you'll stay with us. Okay. It is Fox Across America. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here on this Wednesday, the day after Independence Day, July the 5th. We celebrated America yesterday. A lot to celebrate in America, not the least of which being it's the greatest country in the world. And I hope your celebration was great. Right now, we're celebrating the fact that we have Ben Klein from Virginia's 6th Congressional District on the line. Ben, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you being here. Uh, Paul, it's good to be with you. Listen, you sit on judiciary and you sit on appropriations, on two two very important committees in the House. i got a, a whole lot of different directions we can go here. But I've done, this is my second talk show today. I filled in for a local talk show in Dallas earlier, and I had a caller that said we ought to impeach Biden. And I said, well, <clears throat> if you impeach him, it's a waste of time because it's not gonna, you're not going to get anything even approximating what would look like a trial in the Senate, so why bother? And, um, and she came back and said, so if he's guilty of bribery, we're just going to let that never be um, brought to light. We're just going to just slide by that. 
bribery is one of the things that is specifically mentioned as being impeachable in the Constitution. It looks more and more as if Joe Biden, the sitting president of the United States, has taken bribes. Is it worth the Judiciary Committee putting together articles of impeachment against a president that has no chance of being removed from office? Well, the American people deserve the the truth, and they deserve to know whether their president is on the take. And so getting to the bottom of it is uh, critical, and it's a priority for this Congress. We're making sure that in the House Oversight Committee, uh, Chairman Comer is is doing diligent due diligence to get to the bottom of it, and in judiciary, we follow the facts. So if another committee – and this is how it works – another committee – like Homeland Security, gets all the facts on Mayorkas, uh, submits it to judiciary. Judiciary has also has jurisdiction over immigration as well. But And we determine that Mayorkas has uh, ignored his responsibilities uh, and his oath to, this, to the Constitution uh, to follow the laws and, and uh, enforce the laws, then he should be impeached. And we're going to uh, hopefully do that. And if the facts uh, come out that Mayorkas was talking to the president about this and that the president was encouraging him to violate his oath of office or that the president himself, who is responsible for implementing the laws of this country and enforcing the laws of this country, uh, also uh, neglected his responsibility, uh, then we follow the facts where they lead. And that's our responsibility because we swore an oath to the Constitution, too. So we we were talking to callers all day you know, talking about where things stand I, I look at i look at joe biden and i look at what what we now know that's really incontrovertible we know that at the very minimum his son has taken in millions of dollars as a result of uh, the fact that his father was the vice president we we know that uh, that there is you can just look at the corruption you can you can say well there is so much smoke there. There's no possible way there's not fire. Um, and we say we ran Richard Nixon out of office for a fraction of that. How do we, how, how is it? I, mean, I think our great fear is that the way things are working now, that Biden's just going to skate. What do you say? Well, we're we're going to hold him accountable. We're going to hold uh, those account, individuals accountable who who uh, violate our laws. If if there's a pay-to-play scheme going on here, where uh, the policies of the United States are being dictated by those who uh, funnel money to the president's family, uh, or perhaps the big guy, we have to. Follow those facts, and we have to hold accountable those uh, who are engaged in wrongdoing. And and we're definitely it doesn't matter whether there's one day left in the term. We're going to follow those facts, and uh, it it is not just that. I mean, you have to ask yourself uh, at, at what point does it just become farcical when you have a a, a White House that is not secure? It is. Uh, you're, you're seeing uh, not just his garage that's not secure, and you have documents in the garage that aren't being secured uh, in Delaware, uh, but now you have the White House with cocaine being found 
Uh, we we they're saying, oh, we're never going to know whose it is. Oh, come Wait on! I, I mean, who, who, well, who's the, who's the there first? Were cameras in the White House. Who, yeah, for, that's number one. Number two, who's the first mind, name that popped into your mind when you heard cocaine in the White House? Well, they're, they're, I, I, I bet if you took a poll, the number of people who go in and out of the West Wing who have documented drug addictions uh, are a pretty limited number of individuals. And you could probably pin it down with just looking back at the camera and seeing if any of those individuals walked past uh, the area where this was found and have a conversation. I, you know what? Those That bag was was dusted for prints within five minutes of it being discovered, is my guess. So why don't we know the result of that? Uh, I think it's it's uh, stinking an awful lot, and we we need to get more facts on this pretty quickly. All right. Well, that segues into the next thing I want to talk to you about. Yes, it was probably dusted for fingerprints within three minutes when it was found, and yet we've heard nothing about it. And that is pretty much parallel with we knew that Hunter, Biden lap, Hunter Biden's laptop was the real deal. Going back to 2019, nothing was done about it. We knew that Hunter Biden was evading taxes, and they let the, the statute of limitations clock run out. And that is because we have a, they call it a two-tier justice system. It's not a justice system at all if there's any tiers. It's either justice or it's not justice. But we have a problem with the DOJ. And it's, the DOJ is not going to reform itself. What can, what can the House do, since the House is where the money comes from, and you sit on appropriations, what leverage right. do you have in appropriations in cleaning up the DOJ? Well, quite a, quite a bit. The power of the purse is real, and uh, in divided government, it actually is one of the few powers that that is sure to uh, be exercised. Because you know you, you have to have uh, appropriations bills make their way through at the end of the day. So what we have is uh, the power of the purse. So we are working. I'm also, in addition to being on the full appropriations committee, I'm on the subcommittee with authorization over the Justice Department. So we're looking at uh, the Justice Department's budget, the FBI's budget. And uh, so that bill is going to be coming out shortly, and it will be a conservative bill. Uh, And then we also have uh, the legislation that we can adopt in divided government. That's harder, but we're going to have to reauthorize FISA. Uh, We can let the whole thing expire, but uh, the CIA is using it against foreign terrorists overseas. Now, the FBI abused it working domestically against Americans, uh, and we should have a debate about whether that should end or whether it should be uh, reauthorized with limitations. That's what the Intelligence Committee would like to do. I'm not sure that you can fix this thing. I think it might be so broken that uh, it, the FBI should not be allowed to touch it at all. And, uh, and, and so judiciary is going to be working on that legislation. And then finally you have a new power, which is actually an old power, to line item delete uh, individual salaries for individual bureaucrats within appropriations bills. And we're going to be using those to get rid of some – You know, if Fauci were still working for the federal government, you could line item Fauci's salary out of existence and essentially fire him that way. But uh, So we're going to be using all three tools. And and we're going to make sure that the DOJ that comes out at the end of the year is not the DOJ that was uh, there at the beginning. You confident uh, confident that that can happen? You know, um, I, I truly believe that uh, we can make changes to this bureaucracy that it is not so fundamentally broken. 
that we have to throw uh, the baby out with the bathwater. We can uh, change the bathwater and and uh, actually have a system that works for the people instead of for the powerful. A lot of people don't know this. We're speaking, by the way, we're, we're with Ben Klein. He's um, the congressman from the 6th District of Virginia, sits on the House Appropriations and the House Judiciary Committees on appropriations. A lot of people don't know this, but particularly if they haven't been paying attention they were, since 1996. The last time the, the Congress passed a budget in regular order and did what we're supposed to do, which is separately pass 12 appropriations bills, was in 1996. Since then, it's been omnibus bills and continuing resolutions. How does that get fixed? Well, uh, the senators are ceding their authority to pass appropriations bills because they're the ones who haven't passed appropriations bills. The House usually does, and then they wait, and then the Senate just kind of sits on their hands and waits until time runs out, and then cobbles together a deal and forces it on the House. And that's something that we are rejecting. And the speaker has said he's not going to allow an an omnibus bill on the floor of the House. So Senate better get working. And you know what? For the first time, Senate appropriations, for the first time in many years, Senate appropriations has passed bills out of committee. And the leader has said he's going to schedule floor time. These individual senators have let uh, Chuck Schumer and or Mitch McConnell, when he was the leader, uh, say, well, we don't have time on the floor for your appropriations bills. We're going to have to wait until the end. And then here's the trick. You know, at the end, when there's a when there's an omnibus appropriation, a, a, a big bill, who writes it? Is it of the appropriation staffers and the individual senators on appropriations or is it the majority leader? It's the latter. And that's why the majority leader always doesn't have time is because he wants the ability to write it for himself. And I think that is a big reason that the country is $31.4 trillion in debt and growing. Exactly. You're exactly right. Well, so in the, in the time we have left, um, Congressman, we, we, we're in a, in a fairly fraught period in, a, in American history. We, we, we have divided government. Uh, I, don't, I'm, I was on Capitol Hill a couple of weeks ago. I don't see a whole lot of real solid effort uh, for the two sides to work together, and I don't see a lot of bipartisan um, effort going forward to actually get any work done. Do you see that ever getting better? There are areas where we can work together, uh, and and it takes a lot to to you know uh, trust the the people uh, who are working on the other side of the aisle because a lot of times they say one thing and do another. They talk about fiscal responsibility and then they want to spend 30 plus trillion dollars in debt. And so when they say, well, let's work together on um, China, let's work together uh, on, you know, any, any on any number of, of issues that are seemingly um, not partisan. There's a there's a defense authorization bill that uh, shouldn't be partisan, but uh, the wokeism that's crept into the Pentagon is going to make it. Uh, we're going to have to take it out uh, of the Pentagon, and that and that defense authorization bill is going to be uh, attacked as partisan by the left. But that's just because we're we're taking out the partisan politics that they put in. So there are areas where we can work together, but uh, it, it's going to take uh, some some adults in the room uh, saying. Don't make this political. 
make it about the country. Well, I'd love to see those adults show up because uh, what what we're doing now is is really not working. And by the way, I went to the congressional baseball game a couple three weeks ago. That is some really terrible yeah. baseball. <laughs> hey, now Greg Stubbe, uh, you know, just uh, fell off a ladder not what six months ago, almost died. Uh, it was out there pitching seventy mile seventy five mile an hour. Uh, no, he listened to the, the, consistently. There, no, there are some guys out on the field that you know you can tell they played ball in their youth. You, there, there's guys, some guys that look, and you know, you, you can tell they were ball players. But in the aggregate, that is not the best baseball you ever seen. And I tell you what, <laughs> I tell you what, I do love about it. I love the fact that you know it's it's the two parties out there engaging in something, in 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 friendly competition, and and toward the common goal of raising some money for charity. I wish it were a little bit more like that on the on the on the floor of the house and the senate and i wish there were some more effort to find a list of things that we can agree on and act on those because right now it looks as if we don't agree on much unfortunately the politicians that we work with uh, you have to get a personal with them and so if we go to continuing resolutions we should pass it as part of a cr that no member gets paid until these budgets get done and then you better believe you're going to see some members sit down and start talking because uh, it, it, it comes back to their own uh, interests a lot of the times, unfortunately. And, and you've got to uh, get, get to that bottom line for them before they're going to sit down and do the work and not play politics. So, you know, that's an idea that's circulating, and, and I think it's worth, uh, worth us taking up. Now, will I get support for it? Probably not. But uh, it's worth throwing out there. Well, it, it, certainly, it certainly sounds good. Congressman Ben Klein from Virginia, the 6th District, thanks so much for being part of the program. Hey, thanks a lot, Paul. Take care. More of Fox Across America. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon. Coming up. Stay with us. It's the fastest part of your workday. Wow, you're pretty quick for a big guy. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Okay, to wrap up the show here, Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. Did you see the story? Um... Uh, it ran, uh, what was it, uh, day before yesterday on the Fox News website. It says a London Pride Parade was interrupted by the climate change activism group Just Stop Oil after protesters halted a truck by sitting in the middle of the road. So we have, we have the, the Pride Parade, which is a darling thing of the left, being interrupted by the Just Stop Oil protest, which is another, another darling thing of the left. Can you not just wrap your arms around the sweetness of that irony? It is um, it is amazing the links to which these people will go. By the way, over the 4th of July weekend, I did not drink a single drop of Bud Light. Evidently, you did not either because Bud Light is offering, the, the for the 4th of July weekend, they were offering get up to $15 back via rebate. You could get a total of three submissions of rebates up to $45 back by buying Bud Light and then sending in the thing and get your money back. So essentially they're having to give away Bud Light beer. And the thing that is really disturbing, and this is a real real impact, and you hate this, a glass bottling company impacted by Bud Light's botched promotion will close down two of its locations, laying off more than 600 employees. As, it, as the New York Post story says, the beer brand continues to grapple with staggering financial losses and declining sales. This is what happens when you politicize everything. You, po- you, you politicize 
every single thing, this is the sort of dysfunction you run into. And those people that are working in the plant making beer bottles, now they don't have jobs. What say did they have in any of this? And you have the the Pride Parade stopping the Just Stop Oil Parade, or, or whichever it was, the Just Stop Oil protesters stopping the Pride Parade. The, everything, does everything have to be politicized? Yesterday in my community, we had a 4th of July parade, and there was no politics in it at all. There were people dressed up in red, white, and blue, and they were waving their American flags, and everybody was smiling and happy. And why can't we have that? And you know, and drink whatever beer brand you like that tastes good to you, and know that that beer brand is just trying to make you enjoy the beer instead of trying to change how you think the world works. You know, why can't we do that? Bud, Bud is a great American brand. Why did it get itself in this mess? And, and and ruin a great brand and cause people to lose their jobs. Can't we just all get along? Hey, thanks for being part of the program. We'll be back tomorrow, Fox Across America, with Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon. Follow me at youtellmetexas.com. See you Thursday. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.